Hello, and welcome back to Warrior Walker, formerly titled Grateful Gwenna. We're so glad you joined us today and hope you're doing well and safe in your home where you're supposed to feel safe, loved, and warm, fuzzy feelings. It's supposed to be your sanctuary, your home. If you're in need of assistance in order to get to safety or know someone who is, please do not hesitate to call the center, National Center for Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. Well, <clears throat> up until today, the majority of my podcast episodes, which I've shared with you, have been primarily about convincing you to leave your abusive husband or partner and or get to safety and get your children, if you have them, to safety. They've been sharing my testimony, my story, and others' testimonies, others' stories with you of what we've gone through with domestic violence and abuse and how we've escaped. And the episodes, the podcast episodes, um, as God has led me, have included topics such as those topics, um, friends and, and listeners, um, my audience, my podcast audience, my listeners have asked me to talk about or to share about, such as, um, for example, one of them was you know, how can I help someone who's being abused? And that specific um, podcast listener, um, audience member, was the mother of, a, of her daughter who was being abused. Her daughter was being abused by her daughter's boyfriend. And she was like, how can I help her? And up to now, so far, my podcast episodes have included topics not limited to, but such as um, you know, how to pack a safety bag, um, where to get help and what to do. And really a lot of my focus has been convincing you that you need to get to safety if you're being abused. And the reason for that was because, um, you know, when I was the, the victim, when I was the one being abused, I was in so much denial <clears throat> that I even was in danger, which I absolutely was in danger. And I just was in denial and did not even realize or have a clue how much danger I was truly in back then. And it's been about primarily about what does the Bible say about abuse? Because my pers my own personal experience has also involved and entailed well-meaning Christians, pastors, and even churches preaching a little bit misleadingly because they have been misled, in my opinion, about how we must submit to our husbands. But that's for a healthy marriage. And so a lot of my podcast episodes have been speaking the truth of what the Bible actually says about um, 
you know, the role of a wife in marriage and the role of a husband in marriage, the true biblical role. And so if you've not listened to those messages messages yet, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to those messages because we as a society in general, but especially as Christians and Christ followers and in the church, we often get that wrong or confused or we or misunderstood. We misunderstand what the Bible actually says about the wife submitting to the husband and the husband being the head of the household, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, just briefly, the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And if your husband is loving you as Christ loved the church, he's most definitely not going to be abusing you. And so if your husband is abusing you, then he is breaking and violating the marriage covenant before God. Um, And so that releases you from submitting to that because it's abuse. And so that's just kind of alluding to some of those. So, but today I want to talk about what now? Let's, so let's say that you are finally convinced, okay, I'm in an abusive relationship. You're no longer denying it. You understand what your biblical role in marriage as a wife is, and it's definitely not to be abused. You understand that if your husband is mistreating you and abusing you, that it's definitely wrong, especially biblically, but not only biblically, but also morally. Whether you're a Christian or not, it's absolutely wrong. And ironically, most people who aren't Christians totally get that and understand that. While those of us who are Christians kind of have a tendency to use the Bible as, oh, well, I'm supposed to submit to him. No, you're not. Not to abuse. You're not to submit to that. That's not what God says. That is not at all what the Bible says about that. So now, today, I feel like God has led me to talk about, is leading me to talk to you about, what now? Let's say, you okay, you're not in denial anymore. You're finally confessing and admitting to yourself, if nothing else, okay, I'm in an abusive relationship. My husband does abuse me. My husband is violating God's principles for our lives and for his life. He's not loving me as Christ loved the church. He's not loving me as he loves his own body, as, you know, he's mandated to in the Bible. Can you change him? No, obviously not. But you can and should respond to that in a biblical way. So what do you do now? Listen, I don't have answers for you specifically. That is between you and God. However, I can encourage you to first and foremost, number one, pray to God about what to do. I guarantee you he will give you wisdom and lead, guide, and direct you in this situation. Remember, you are living your own personal Egypt. What I mean by that is, you know, God's people, um, the Israelites, they were in slavery and bondage to Pharaoh. And your own marriage is a slavery and bondage to your husband when you are being abused by your husband. And so you are living your own personal Egypt. And if you remember in the Bible, um, through Moses, God delivered the Israelites from their Egyptian slavery and bondage to Pharaoh. He delivered them. He provided them with a way out. Um, he parted the Red Sea for them to cross over. God made a way. 
and he can and will make a way for you to get to safety from your husband's abuse of you. All you have to do is have faith, pray, trust, and obey God, not your husband, God. You don't want to obey your husband in the case of abuse because he is actually calling you to disobey God when he's abusing you. So first and foremost, you've made up your mind, I, I'm being abused, now what? Well, first of all, you need to decide if you need to get to safety. Are you truly in danger? My take on it is, yes, you are being abused. You are in danger for your own safety and also for the safety of your children if you have them. Maybe they're not under immediate threat or harm because he's not abusing them. But, however, I can almost guarantee that they are being affected and influenced by his abuse of you. Because even when we think they're not, unfortunately, I've learned the hard way that our children are seeing us being abused. And again, we know that as mothers of our children, not only do we want the best for our children, um, I believe God's made most of us mothers nurturing, but we don't want our children to grow up learning that that's an okay way to live within abuse and having abuse in a marriage relationship and in a family home. We don't want our children to grow up living with a belief because they've witnessed it that abuse is okay and or with a belief that, um, you know, we don't want them to have this uh, maybe subconscious belief that you know, it's okay if they get abused when they're grown because that's what they know. Nor do we want our children to grow up and have this kind of subconscious belief that, you know, it's okay to abuse others because that's what they've seen and witnessed in their home. And studies statistically show and pro have proven that children who are subjected to abuse in the home end up either victims themselves or perpetrators. In other words, they abuse themselves or they are abused themselves. And I know we definitely don't want that for our children. I know I don't, and I'm assuming you don't either. And so even though we all have this like innate understanding, in my opinion, that abuse is wrong, just the fact of witnessing it somehow makes us more likely to experience it ourselves as adults. So we want to break that generational curse, which is actually, in my opinion, a form of spiritual bondage. We want to break that generational curse where maybe we've been abused because we saw our parents be abused and they saw their parents be abused, et cetera, et cetera. We want to break that generational curse so that our children don't have to go through it. So number one, pray. Number two, consider, are you in danger? Is your safety being threatened? And you know, I remember I didn't want to admit that, right? I didn't want to admit that I was actually in danger. First of all, because I was in denial of how severe the severity, how severe the, the abuse really was. And part of that was my ex-husband's brainwashing of me, telling me that, oh, you're, you're exaggerating. No, I actually wasn't exaggerating. Unfortunately, I was actually minimizing. Um, that's called crazy making too. He was making me feel crazy and making me 
doubt my reality. You know, you know your reality. Don't let him convince you otherwise. So number one, pray. Number two, consider your level of safety, you and your children if you have them. You know, um, number three, follow God's leading when you pray. Not your husband's, but God's. And and sometimes you might have to wait a minute. But, you know, I say that cautiously and carefully because, you know, if if you are being strangled, you don't want to wait a minute to decide whether to leave or not. Obviously, if you're being strangled, you want to get the heck out of there and right this second. Um, that is a dangerous situation. And that that's an example. It could be, you know, someone's holding a cocked gun to your head, which actually happened to my mother when I was young and growing up. Growing up. Um, you know, any of those situations where you are in immediate danger, immediate harms, safety is being threatened. Um, where you could potentially lose your life, and it's it is that serious. And if your husband, like mine, is accusing you of exaggerating the abuse when he's doing, especially when he's doing things like that, then you can know for a fact that you are most definitely not exaggerating. And he's saying that as a method to try to control you and brainwash you, and make you think that you're crazy, make you think that you're it's all in your head. It is not all in your head. Um, and I think some abusers, like, deep down can't live with... This is my opinion. It goes against what people, what, like, um, social workers and counselors say, this particular thing. But my opinion is that a lot of abusers, deep down, they're in complete denial about what they're actually doing to you. For example, my ex-husband, um, when he strangled me, you know, at one point... Well, at first he was in denial, and then at one point he actually finally admitted it and apologized and asked my forgiveness for it. But then not long later, he was back to denying he ever did it again. And I think deep down, you know, my guess, my own personal guess is, because this is how I would be, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe people are much worse than I think they are. I know my one son keeps telling me that people are bad in this sense, you know, or can some people can be bad. And, you know, I have a tendency to believe the best in people, which is part of my problem and what abusers look for. It's what narcissists look for. They look for empaths. Um, but I, I tend to think that deep down, they know what they're doing is so bad that they don't want to admit that that's what they're doing. Because then they would have to think of themselves as a horrible person. And nobody wants to think of themselves or feel like a horrible person. I mean, none of us want to think that. They don't want to believe that they're capable of doing something so awful. So what now? First step, obviously pray. Second step, consider your level of safety or your level of danger. How much harm are you and your children in by staying with your abusive husband? Number three, follow God's leading. I would say number four, if you're in immediate danger, get out immediately, get to safety if your life is being threatened or the lives of your children are being threatened, you're being strangled, um, someone's threatening to kill you, someone's, even if they act like it's a joke, threatening to kill someone is never a joke. Even if they say, oh, well, I was kidding. I was joking. No, no, you weren't. Stop it. No. Um, you can't make them stop saying that, but stop listening to them saying that. Stop believing them because 
the fact that those words came out of their mouth, those are words that should never come out of anyone's mouth. Um, so if you're, you know, being strangled or threatened, someone, your husband's threatening to kill you, or, you know, he holds a gun to your, to you or anything like that. I mean, get out immediately. Number five, hopefully from previous podcast episodes, you have packed a backpack or some sort of overnight duffel bag or bag of some sort um, with at least two nights supplies in it for you and your children. Just basic necessities. A change of clothes for two days, a pair of underwear, toothbrushes, you know, although um, if you need to go to a shelter quickly, they usually provide things like toothbrush and things like that if you don't have time. Um, your hairbrush, your um, a copy of your driver's license, you know, um, things like that. Keep all like paperwork, important papers, keep those in that backpack and have that backpack in a place where your husband won't check. Like for me, it was the trunk of my car. We each had our own car and well, vehicle and he would never check mine. He never checked mine. So I knew that was a pretty safe place to put it, you know, keep that somewhere where he's not going to find it so that in an emergency you can grab the keys and go and also keep those keys in a place where they're easily accessible to you so that if you have to, in a moment's notice, you can flee. Um, so number six, um, when you start realizing that you truly are being abused and there is a potential threat to your or your children's safety and you could be in serious danger of being harmed. Um, remember, I keep saying be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove is how the Bible says it. And so the way I had to do it personally was I had to come up with a plan secretly because my ex-husband was extremely controlling. And anytime I would start talking about leaving him, which is a very dangerous thing to do with an abusive person, um, he would become, start feeling very insecure because he didn't want to lose me, which is crazy with how he treated me, but it's whatever. And it's very common, actually. Um, abusers quite often abuse because they feel insecure and they are afraid of losing you. Um, because if they lose you, if you leave them, they lose power and control over you and they can't control what you do, what you say, or even who you are anymore. Um, so I had to, you know, and I recommend if that this, um, I had to be very careful about it and sneakily planned in my mind what I was doing. Did I feel guilty? Yes. Did I feel like I was disobeying my husband? Yes. Was I? No. He was actually dishonoring me by abusing me. And that's how we have to change our mindset and our thinking. And, you know, it's it's 12 years into my divorce and I'm finally starting to understand, well, not starting to, but it's taken several years for me to understand these things because I was married for a grand total of 17 years, even though there were three separations and the final one was for three and a half years because he had me so incredibly brainwashed and he used the Bible and the church to, he twisted the scriptures and twisted that authority to like kind of force me into submission and under his power 
and control and authority. But ultimately, your husband is not your number one authority. God is your number one authority. And anything your husband tells you to do or say or not do or not say that is against what God says is not what you need to obey. You do not have to obey that, nor should you obey that. You need to obey, we need to obey God over whatever our husbands say. So if whatever our husbands say is not lining up with what God says and not lining up with the word of God, it's not what the Bible says, then we need to not do that. So you need to be safe and wise and smart about it. And I personally came up with a plan I planned while he was, this was my plan. You do whatever, you pray about it and do whatever God leads you to do. This may not necessarily work for you, but for me, I prayed about it and God led me to, while my ex-husband was at work one day, I had a locksmith come and change the locks on the house and I packed him an overnight bag with way more than overnight and I locked the doors and windows and I had the overnight bag on the front patio when he got home from work. Um, In hindsight, I also should have had a sheriff present when he arrived, but I didn't. Um, But it it went okay, thankfully. But he was definitely extremely angry because at that point, the house was still in his name because that was one of his, I believe, one of his control and manipulation tactics. And he tried to use that against me, but thankfully I was able to talk to the mortgage company and um, with God's help, I got them to include my name on the mortgage um, and then they actually helped me. And that was one of the miracles God gave me was the mortgage company, I they were like one of the first people I told my actual situation after hiding the abuse for years and years um, and the abuse of me by my ex-husband. And I was so blessed because the mortgage company was so good. I can't remember the name of the mortgage company now, but they were, I'm so thankful for them. I'm so grateful, incredibly grateful. I told them, I said, you know, I don't want my children. They're going to have to go through a divorce now. Maybe they're definitely going through a separation. I said, and I can't believe I was like, maybe a divorce. I should have been like, definitely, absolutely a divorce. But In my head, I was trying to do everything the biblical way and trying to do a biblical separation because the church and my ex, well, not my ex-husband because he wasn't about separation. He was just about me tolerating whatever he dished out. But, um, and I say that matter-of-factly, not with bitterness anymore. I used to harbor and hold bitterness in my heart, but thankfully God just took that away from me one day. And so anyway, I stopped for a second there because the Holy Spirit led me to pray briefly and quickly that God will do the same thing for my estranged son, that he'll take away his bitterness and his heart toward me. Um, So that's what I was doing for a second there because the Holy Spirit led me to just stop and do that for a second. Because that is one of my consequences of staying with my abusive ex-husband too long is I have one of my sons is now estranged and it's partially my fault but it is all a direct result of my staying in my abusive marriage too long. So um, where was I before I interrupted myself there? God took the bitterness away from me toward my ex-husband. Um, oh, he came home and obviously he was very angry. And then I called. 
So you definitely want to be careful and plan and think ahead. Um, and later, I started to say earlier, um, later I went ahead and called the police and a sheriff arranged for a sheriff to come out. They set a time. I explained the situation. I explained what happened. And I think also because I had a history of 911 calls and a history of domestic violence on the police reports, um, they arranged a time for him to come out and they gave him half an hour with a sheriff supervising him to come back to the home and get some of his belongings. And so that was a good thing because he was allowed back in the home, but with the sheriff and I didn't have to be there by myself. I had legal protection and that was a really wise way to do it. So that's something I actually did well back then. So I would say pray about it and figure out a time and a place and a way that works for you or that you believe God is leading you to do. And, you know, follow God's leading guidance and direction for your life and for what I call your safety slash escape plan from your abuser. I would also say, you know, prepare yourself mentally. This is not going to be an easy process, especially if you have children. But it is definitely going to be worth it in the long run. And you are obeying God. And so he is going to bless and protect you. And he is going to be with you through this whole process. All you have to do is pray and follow his instructions to you, whatever those are. Number eight, I would suggest be very careful of the human advice you accept. Be careful of the advice you accept from other people. People often have the best of intentions, but they're not in your situation. They don't know exactly what you're going through. They don't understand what's really happening and what's really going on behind your closed doors. So, and for example, I had some friends with the best of intentions. I finally told them the truth of what was going on and they tried to counsel and mediate between my ex-husband and me. I'm sorry, but counseling... Marital counseling does not work in the case of abuse because it's not a marriage problem, it's an abuse problem. So be very careful about accepting advice from well-meaning Christian and other friends. Um, they love you and they mean well, but they don't have a clue what they're talking about, especially if they've never been through abuse in their lives. Number nine, next, I would recommend if you don't have someone already, carefully and wisely choose a Christ-centered, um, abuse-knowledgeable, someone who knows a lot about, about abuse, maybe even has an expertise in helping abuse victims, Christian counselor to help you. You need some support from a professional because you have been brainwashed. You've been abused however long, all these years, however long it's been. You need someone who's on your side. You need someone to help you realize your worth in Christ. Because like me, if you've been living with someone long enough, who's been abusing you long enough, your self-worth, self-esteem is just crushed and shattered. And you need someone who's going to help you build that back up, help you understand your true value in Christ and who you are in Christ. So 
prayerfully, wisely, and carefully consider and find a Christian counselor who specializes in helping victims of domestic violence. What is this number 10 now? It just came to my mind. What about pets? Sadly, oftentimes one of the first signs that someone is abusive is they will abuse your pets. Well, if you have to flee in an instant due to your own safety, you can't worry about your pets. You've got to get yourself out of there first and foremost and your children. You've got to get to safety. And I can hear the abuser saying, well, those are my children too. Yes, they are, which is all the more reason why you shouldn't be abusing your wife in front of them, which is why you as a wife are going to protect your children from seeing that and witnessing that. Um, your pet, you know, hopefully you can come back and get the pet later, but human lives are more important than animals. And um, if the, you don't have a choice, please don't feel guilty about that, Okay. You need to get you and your children to safety first and foremost. You come first, okay? Because if you're dead, you can't take care of your pet anyway, right? Let's think about this logically. I'm not trying to be crass here, but it's the truth. Number 11, start thinking about how you're going to support yourself financially. I know in the past, a lot of women, um, wives, have hidden cash stashes from their husbands just in case of such an emergency like this or some other. Um, you know, maybe somebody suddenly got diagnosed with cancer and, you know, the wife had been secretly stashing cash for years. I'm not recommending this or saying you should do this, but if you have not been able to do something like that, where you have a reserve monetary fund that your abusive husband doesn't know about, then you need to come up with a plan if if he's been your primary primary source of income like mine was come up with a plan to start earning an income and support yourself and your children if you have them now for an immediate temporary solution um you should be able to go to something like um a welfare office like in my city where I was living at the time there was a food stamp office and so you could apply there for cash assistance and for food assistance. And I got granted all of those things. And they'll determine like how much money you make, how much money you were making. You know, you just tell them the truth about your situation and they will help you. Um, it is a government funded program. And I don't know about your abusive husband, but my abusive husband, um, he didn't allow me to request financial assistance from anyone, especially not the government. And, you know, as Christians, we are to be, you know, um, frugal and good stewards of our money and resources. But when you are an abused woman escaping from your abusive husband, it's okay to ask for a little help. I mean, that's why those resources are there to begin with, to help people who need them. So, um, you do go through a process and there's a lot of paperwork usually, um, but usually they'll have some sort of program to help you right away. And um, so don't let the paperwork part scare you out of applying for help because they will help you. And they were a huge help and a huge resource for me. Um, 
they gave us food stamps. And what they'll do, they'll give you a card usually, and you can go to the grocery and use that card for food. And you get so much money amount a month on that card to spend for your groceries for you and your children. Another thing you can do and should do, in my opinion, definitely should do, um, especially in the meantime, while you're waiting for approval for your cash and food stamp assistance. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know it's humbling. It's a very humbling process, but everybody needs help once in a while. There's no shame in it. I remember thinking, wow, look at all these people who are worse off than I am. Like my clothes were nicer than most of them and things like that. And I felt so guilty for being there at first, but don't, don't feel guilty because you need help just as much as they do. Um, it's just, you didn't before maybe because your husband supplied all your needs or whatever financial needs. Um, but another thing you can and should do is go to churches and a lot of times churches will have food banks there. A lot of churches, you can also apply for financial assistance. You have to meet certain income requirements, etc. Um, but usually if you explain the situation or you can request an interview with the pastor, um, then they will take into consideration your extenuating circumstances and try to help you. Now with that, I would tell you, don't be, and I don't think you will be since you're a victim of abuse, you don't typically do things like this, but just in case, I got to have a disclaimer, don't be like some people who go around hopping churches and just get all the assistance they can afford because, you know, or not they can afford, that they can get, you know, they, they hop around, don't do that because just, I mean, just taking advantage of the system, don't take advantage of the system. Apply, be honest about your needs and be honest about your situation. It's hard. It's not easy. I, I understand. Don't get me wrong. It's hard to tell people what's really been going on behind our closed doors. Um, hopefully, you're already a member of a church body. If you are, go there first. Even if you don't have a church food bank or things like that, or you don't know about it, go there first. Go to your pastor first. Go to your um, whoever it is, community care ministry, whoever it is, whoever helps people with financial needs and food needs, go there first. If you don't have a, if you're not a member of a church body, it wouldn't hurt you to find one, you know, and, and be very selective about your church you select or you choose because um, a lot of them don't understand abuse. I would also um, caution and say, be careful if you've been going to a church with your abusive husband and they know him or they think they know him more accurately um, because they may believe him over you like mine kind of did me. And so you want to be careful about that. And I've seen it happen with other women too. Just be very, very careful. Again, be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. Pray and seek God's guidance before you do anything. So those are some long, or I'm sorry, short-term emergency temporary financial situ situations um, and suggestions that you can hopefully use to leave your abuse. Um, and then for long-term, uh, start thinking of a plan to help you support yourself and your children financially. In my case, um, God provided and I ended up going back to school, back to college. 
and took graduate level courses. I took a four year course condensed into 18 months and I was granted um, financial aid to go through that um, and, you know, uh, ended up converting my Bachelor of Arts in Spanish into a teaching certification. And then I went and took the teaching licensing tests. There were three of them at the time for me. And so, um, okay, <laughs> um, I was just going to go on, but I guess I'm supposed to share what it was. For me, in particular, my own personal story, um, I had to take three tests. It's changed, I think, since I took them because that was several years ago. But I took um, a content test, which was a test in Spanish. It was a reading, writing, and speaking test. Passed that the first time. By the way, the company that produces these tests um, is a company that if you don't pass the first time, you have to go back and you have to take it again. And you have to pay for every time you take it. So um, most of us teachers uh, think that they make the tests almost impossible to pass because they're trying to get lots more money, you know. Everything's very capitalistic, I think, in our society a lot of times. So the first test was a content test. And most people do not pass any of these tests the first time. Most teachers have to take them two or three times. So I was very blessed that I passed the content test the first time around. And it was a speaking, reading, and writing test in Spanish. And it was it, kind of a miracle because it was, excuse me, all Spain Spanish. And I hadn't spoken Spain Spanish in many years. And I don't know if you know anything about what I'm saying and what I mean by Spain Spanish, but there's one Spanish spoken in Spain. It's kind of like a dialect, kind of like we speak um, American English here in the United States of America, but in England, in the United Kingdom, in Britain, they speak British English. It's it's just, it's still English. It's just a little bit different dialect. And there are different words, like they say lift instead of elevator and flat instead of apartment, things like, little things like that. And then like kind of expressions and pronunciation. And so it's just, it was completely different. So, um, so I passed the content test. The second test was an English and math test. And I hadn't done math or English, but I hadn't done math in over 25 years. So bless their hearts, my sons tutored me to help me remember how to do concepts like algebra. And I did pass the math test the first time, thankfully. Barely, but I did. And you just had to pass it. And then the third test was a pedagogy test. And those questions were so incredibly ambiguous. And I failed it the first time. The second time, I went in and I was so confused again. And I took the test and then I sat there and I prayed, God, help me understand this test. I opened my eyes and it was like suddenly a light bulb went on in my mind and the questions made sense suddenly. I went back, I changed 30 of my answers. So 30 of those questions were ambiguous and confusing. I went back and changed 30 of my answers and passed that test with flying colors. And then I that I got my teaching license and certification. And so I went back and I became a teacher in the classroom. And before I got my license and certification, um, while I was in the graduate school program, for 18 months, that accelerated program that's normally a four-year program, 
it was called Transition to Teaching. While I was doing that, I was also, um, God blessed me with a first teaching job in a classroom, and it was a private Christian Baptist school. I had no clue what I was doing, and the kids there gave me a really super rough time because one, they didn't know me, two, like I was a new teacher, Um, three, I was brand new, four, I had no training whatsoever on how to teach in a classroom. I had taught my own sons uh, and other people's children homeschool Spanish and all subjects for my own children and Spanish to other people's homeschool children for 10 years. But teaching in a classroom environment, I have since learned, is completely different. And those kids had zero respect for me and you know, I had no support at that school, I'll be honest. They didn't require the kids to respect me. Um, In fact, there was a real lack of respect for female teachers. The kids at that school respected the male teachers, but not so much the female teachers, unless they'd been there a really long time. But that was the beginning of God beginning to provide for me financially without my ex-husband's source of income through him and through his job. My ex-husband made about $90,000 a year when we were married, and he immediately stripped all his financial support away from me the second I separated from him because, again, he was trying to control me. And so I'm not going to lie, it wasn't easy. There were days when I literally had 70 cents to my name. But I will tell you, too, that God always provided, not only for our needs, but also for some of our wants. And there's another Um, a podcast episode about some of his blessings. And so um, he, we always had meals. I was wondering where our next meal was going to come from and how I was going to feed my boys. But not only was I able to feed my boys, God provided so much, I was able to eat too. And like I said, not just our needs, like food, shelter, and clothing, but he provided for our wants too. So he provided for, you know, our food, and he provided for our shelter. I told you the mortgage story earlier. They let us stay in the, in the, mor- in the house for a year mortgage-free. That was amazing. Um, that was a true miracle of God. Everything he did, he, he took care of me because I was in God's will. And as long as you're in God's will, he will take care of you too. And you're not out of God's will by leaving your abusive husband. So he, God is going to take care of you. And then clothing, we, we had clothing, thankfully. And the kids were growing, um, but like um, people, friends I knew would hand us down clothes or, you know, um, he always provided a way for us to, to purchase clothes or to receive clothes. So that first teaching job I had, it was a rough year um, going to graduate school full time and teaching full time without any support, in an environment where I was not respected and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. (laughs) I knew the education part. I knew the content part. But as far as, you know, um, maintaining discipline in an entire classroom, I had no clue what I was doing because I hadn't taken those courses yet. I hadn't completed those college courses yet of, you know, how to teach in a classroom. And there's a lot of teaching that you don't know until you just experience it. I mean, you just have to learn as a teacher as you go. You know, you kind of have to choose your battles. And the main thing teaching is to um, to care about your students, to, to develop a relationship with your students, because 
your students will know if you care about them or not. But I, I had no clue then. Like I tried, but they weren't having it. And it was obvious that I was a first-tier teacher, and those kids were so incredibly disrespectful. Um, I remember I had a candy jar on my desk, and I walked in one day, and one of my students had gotten in my candy jar without my permission and was literally sitting in his seat throwing pieces of candy to people across the room. I mean, it was awful. Like, nowadays, that kid would have been sent to the principal's office, like, my students, they would never dream of doing that. First of all, I wouldn't have a candy jar on my desk anymore. That was a big mistake. But, um, you know, I was trying to get the kids to like me because when kids like you, they'll often do a better job for your class. I know it shouldn't be that way, but it is. Um, but I really, truly do care about my children. And that's really all the students want to know is that you care about them. But that first teaching job, not knowing it was so incredibly stressful because I didn't know what I was doing. It was my first year. I was disrespected, everything else. But that's when God started to increase my income. And he increased my income exponentially and miraculously. That first year, I made $25,000. And within just a few years, God literally um, almost doubled my income. And I don't, I still don't make a lot as a teacher and definitely nowhere near the 90,000 plus dollars that my ex-husband made. And I'm sure it's way more than that now. Um, but I make more than enough to support myself. I mean, I make just enough to support myself and, you know, um, be able to provide for my own needs of food, shelter, and clothing. And so God has provided for me financially and he you know, my first teaching job, like I said, I made $25,000. And then um, my, then uh, I ended up doing my student teaching after that year, which was ironic. I was actually teaching for a year before I did my student teaching. It was crazy how d God did things in my life. Things were kind of backwards. And then I remember a few years later, God called me out of my comfort zone. <clears throat> Excuse me, I was coughing. <laughs> God called me out of my comfort zone and said, I want you to leave your hometown and I want you to go somewhere <clears throat> where you don't know anyone. So I obeyed him. I moved to another town, had no friends, told, my, told God, you know, asked God to choose my friends for me. It took a long time, but he did. And they are friends for life, and I'm very grateful for them. But I was making, I think, $34,000 at that school. So God had increased my income substantially. And then uh, a couple years later, God called me to another school in a different location. And he increased my income there to 38000 And he just kept increasing my income. And teachers' incomes, unfortunately, in my opinion, are public knowledge. So it's not like I'm divulging anything confidential by sharing how much I make with you. So, I mean, you can get online and see how much I make. Um, and then, uh, so I made 38000 there. I was at that place for four years, and then God called me where I am now. And so... Um, I make about probably 
I don't know, probably around 47,000 now a year. And it's not a lot and definitely nowhere near the 90,000 plus, like I said, that my ex-husband used to make when we were married, but it's enough to provide for my needs and even a few of my wants, not a lot, but it's enough, you know? God is good. God will provide for you financially the way he has provided for me. You just need to trust him, have faith in him, and obey him, and he will walk with you. He promises, God promises to never leave us and never forsake us. God will not leave you. He will walk through you, with you through this. You just need to trust him and have faith in him. And it's not always easy, but God takes care of even the sparrows, as it says in the book of Matthew, he will take care of you. He took care of me. He took care of my children. God is amazing and he loves us. He loves me. He loves you. He wants the best for us. And the best for us definitely does not include being abused. And I'm not at all talking about a prosperity gospel. I am not saying, you know, God wants you to have a BMW. No, I'm not saying that. God wants you to have a hope and a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. He wants the best for us because he loves us just like we want the best for our children. So have a plan um, for how, like a long-term plan for how you're eventually going to provide for yourself and your family financially. And that means your children, your family. You are now a family of you and your children if your husband's abusing you and you've left him, okay? I am not promoting divorce. I am promoting you being safe and alive and your children having a better future than what you've had if you've been abused by your husband. So have a financial plan in place, you know, prayerfully follow God's leading. And if you, the Bible says, if you ask, you will receive. Um, and that doesn't just mean, I believe, about salvation. I believe it means about whatever we ask. The Bible says, whatever you ask in my name, it will be yours. Jesus said that, I believe. And so, of course, it can't be, you know, it needs to be within God's will, not like selfish. But you taking care of yourself is not selfish. It's actually a gift to your children and to yourself. But I keep emphasizing and recognizing your children because oftentimes we allow ourselves to be mistreated or we you know, tolerated or whatever word you want to use. I'm not saying it's your fault or my fault or our fault, but we do that because, you know, we think that's best for our children and we're very nurturing typically as mothers um, and even as wives, maybe a little too nurturing as wives sometimes. Um, but if we wouldn't want that for our children, then we wouldn't want it for ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Like if you wouldn't want your child being treated how you're being treated, then get out of there. Um, and again, yes, the Bible says God hates divorce, but it says that he hates a man covering his wife with violence just as much. So God supports you not being abused by your husband. God thinks violence against you by your husband is just as bad as divorce. So there you go. God wants you to protect yourself um, the best you can with his help. So, you know, I don't plan, plan to provide income and God will help you just stay in his will and obey him like I'm sure you're probably already doing. 
I personally, unfortunately, do not recommend being a teacher nowadays. I love my job and I'm called to it. Um, but I think you really have to be called to it because it is not the same nowadays as what it used to be. Um, there's a lot to consider. And when you are teaching in a public classroom environment, when you're teaching in a public environment, there's a lot of darkness in that world. And you have to be someone who's capable of being around that all the time. You're not allowed to talk about your beliefs. There is no free speech when you're in a school as a teacher. There, there's, you're, you're not covered by the Freedom of Speech Amendment when you're on school grounds. Um, teachers are not allowed to lead prayer. I mean, there's a lot. So you are surrounded by darkness. There's also light. Um, you know, there's both. But it's not like, you know, when I homeschooled and stayed home, although I was being abused by my husband, I was surrounded and chose Christian friends to surround myself with. So I was constantly around light. And God just has me at an entirely different place now, you know. And there's a lot of darkness that seeps through and that is there. And um, I pray for my classroom all the time, silently, of course, because, you know, no free speech on school grounds, but, you know, um, and, and that's a law, okay? So you kind of have to obey the law if you want to keep your job. So, um, you know, and I just, I'm, I'm obeying God and he's got me where he wants me. And I believe that he is using me. Even though I can't say anything about my faith, I believe that my kids see who I am. I believe they see Jesus through me, hopefully. Not that I'm perfect. That's not it at all. But they see my imperfections and how, you know, I try to be my best and I try to love on them and others and be kind. And I believe that's shining his example to my students, to my kids. I call my students my kids. Um, one time my son said, they're not your kids, mom. We are. And I'm like, no, they're my kids. You're my sons. You're my children. I don't think he really understood that sons and children is on a much higher level than kids. But um, my students, my kids have become like a second set of kids to me in my heart. And they always do every year. And um, they know that I care about them. I truly, truly care about them. Each and every one of them. And that's just, you know, that's part of why I know I'm called to be a teacher. So plan for how to provide I don't really recommend teaching unless that you really strongly believe that's where God's calling you because there are a lot of challenges in it. Um, you know, thankfully, where I work is a really good place. I'm not saying anything bad about it at all. But politically speaking, as a general rule, teaching is extremely challenging. Um, and that's probably putting it pretty mildly <laughs> and in multiple ways. Thankfully, I'm blessed. There's a lot of those challenges I don't have where I work, um, but a lot of teachers to do, especially in that public environment. So those are the first 10 things. I'm getting a warning that I have five minutes left on my podcast recording episode. So those are the top 10 things I would recommend that you do when you do um, finally realize, confess, or admit that you are being abused by your husband, you're a Christian, and you're looking for what to do. Those are my top 10 things I would recommend, and I'm probably forgetting something. So you may have something you want to add to that. That's more than fine. Please, again, pray about it. Don't listen to me. Listen to whatever God tells you.
and be careful accepting advice from others, even Christians, who may mean well, but they don't understand your story. They don't understand what you're going through. They may not even believe you totally about what you're saying that's happening in your home behind closed doors. Remember, your number one priority is your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus. Your number two priority is to keep yourself and your children safe. Um, feel free, please comment, reply, let me know your thoughts, ask questions, um, interact. You you can write replies to my um, podcast. I believe you can put them anonymously. Um, I will try to look at them as I'm able. If I'm, I'll, I've never had a reply so far, but I'm more than open and willing and would love feedback. Thank you for listening. Um, I hope and pray that you're safe and your children and you are safe. And that if you're not, you'll get to safety immediately as soon as possible. Nobody can tell you what to do. Um, follow God's direction in your life. So glad you're here. We love you. I love you. But remember, Jesus loves you more. Thanks for listening. Until next time.